0: Oh, Trump has a good idea Oh, Trump has a bad idea Oh, no, wait a minute, Trump has a good idea
1: One of those is probably true
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling that something right Oh, it's a
1: mess
2: I'm just scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs me. to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes, I'm stuck from in
1: the Pacifica Radio's with you. KPFK in Los and Angeles is this do. is your broadcast as heard it's on 90.7 I FM, FM in LA 91.7 FM, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and coast to coast, and around the globe on kpfk.org. On the Progressive Voices channel, on NetRoots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly friendly investigative blogger journalist troublemaker muckraker all around swell fellow from bradblog.com thank you for joining us for another action-packed thrilling adventure and it is today it certainly is we'll have some uh well we talked uh, we we talked was it last week or so about this um the good news that had been coming out of Texas concerning the photo ID restrictions that were placed on voters by the Republicans there, the Republicans who have been trying to do this for years in order to disenfranchise Democratic-leaning voters. We had that, that breaking news as the appeals court down there, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, agreed with the lower court that, in fact, the restrictions put on voting were a violation of the Voting Rights Act, and that court, the appellate court theoretically struck it down. That was the good news. Well, Ernest A. Canning, our analyst over at uh, our legal analyst over at bradblog.com says, well, the news may not be quite as good as it initially seemed. Because in fact, though that law was in theory struck down, it's actually and practically still in effect right now and it likely will be during the uh, state primaries coming up in Texas later this year as well as during next year's presidential primary in uh, in Texas in March and even during next year's presidential election itself even though all the courts so far agree this law is illegal and should be shut down Ernie Canning will be here to explain he wrote about it at bradblog.com late last week and he will join us Uh, momentarily to explain uh, as the headline at bradblog.com says fifth circuit decision could leave hundreds of thousands without the right to vote in Texas. So we will explain. He'll be here uh, shortly. We've got a lot more ahead on this uh, broadcast today, including yes, some Donald Trump news, because as you know, he owns the news cycle as usual. Uh, All weekend long, all week, all month, all year, every year. It's just it's Donald Trump's world. We just live in it. And you ought to know that by now. That's true, no matter how wrong and dumb the stuff uh, that he says actually is. Uh, Also, if I've got some time, I've had some interesting responses uh, to my rant last week. Uh, In response to the new British government study, finding that uh, finding underscoring, in fact, the health benefits of e-cigs. Exactly what we've told you for so long on this program. Uh, Some interesting responses all over the place to that uh, and much more ahead. But first, before we get to all of that, uh, the Dow. The Dow fell about 1,000 points at the opening bell on Monday, amid a global sell-off and after a roller coaster ride throughout the day. Reports ABC News, uh, the the Dow was down more than 588 points at the closing bell, down more than 3.58 percent, its worst day in four years. Today's loss comes on the heels of. Friday's dive when the Dow lost about 530 points, down 3.1% at the close of that trading day. So, what the hell is going on? Uh, when something like this happens, there is one man we turn to. Uh, David Dayan is a financial reporter and contributing writer at Salon, Fiscal Times, New Republic, The American Prospect, Guardian, Huffington Post, Politico, and everywhere else, including here on the Bradcast, where we like to turn to him. Uh, David Dayan, uh, welcome back to the Bradcast, my friend. Thank you. So, uh, what the hell happened today on the Dow, and does it matter? for actual human beings how's that
0: first of all uh, i don't think it can be stressed enough that the stock market is not the economy okay i mean if you go out uh... into your community right now and talk to ten people
1: Mm -hmm.
0: most of them might know that the stock market went down but then if you ask them "Well, do you own any stocks?" uh... it's likely that nine out of ten of those people do not so if you don't have a personal valet, mm-hmm. this probably doesn't affect you very much.
1: Although a lot of people do have stocks they may not even know about it, right? in their, in their pensions or 401k it is true and so that forth.
0: There are pension funds, but this is also a snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. We have to understand that the, the, the Dow has doubled uh, in the last five years, or the S&P 500 has doubled in the last five years. So a 3% drop today does not wipe out your 100% gains if you bought and hold, held
1: five years ago. And that was including uh, people who bought at the market bottom in, in 2009 after the crash. Sure. Uh, even with today's crash, uh, the market is up 180% since that go. crash, right?
0: There you go. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this, and that's not to say this is a non-event. There mm-hmm. are important repercussions of what is going on. But it does not mimic what the economy looks like. The economy could be good, and the stock market could go down. The economy could be bad, and the stock market can go up. I would argue that the last five years, when the stock market actually doubled and, and mm-hmm. was going great guns, the economy was actually not moving too well. Right. Uh, what we had was a situation where profits were at a record high, but wages were pretty flat. And that's good for the stock market, but that's not necessarily good for your pocketbook.
1: Right. Well, now, what caused—and before we decide if this is uh, good or bad today, what actually caused the, the this panic? Everybody was, uh, like I said, at the opening bell, it dropped by 1,000, and then it looked yeah. like it was almost completely rebounded, and then it fell again. Is this all about China, and what is it about China that has everyone so freaked out?
0: Well, as you said, it was amid a global sell-off. And uh, there are a number of different factors, but certainly the fact that the Chinese uh, stock market really led this. The Chinese stock market has been down about 38 percent in the last two months. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was pretty clear that this was a bubble. Millions of middle class people in China were told to get into the stock market and given borrowed money to do it, Mm. uh, which is kind of not a good idea. And uh, we're seeing the kind of predictable repercussions of that. And a couple of weeks ago, what China did in reaction is they allowed their currency to devalue. Mm-hmm. And what people took from this is that this was a sign that the Chinese economy, not just the stock market, was faltering to some extent. So they were trying to devalue their currency so that their goods that they export were cheaper and more attractive to customers all around the world. So the idea is that this was a sign China's economy is going well. If China's economy isn't going well, it's the second largest in the world. That will have repercussions for a number of different other countries, and uh, woe is us. And uh, we're going to have to blow up our stock
1: market well. Right that, that well. That and that sounds. So that sounds like legitimate. That sounds like a legitimate fear. Should be there, people is, be concerned it about that? Le-
0: it's a legitimate fear to a certain extent, uh-huh. uh, particularly in emerging markets, countries like Brazil and India. Uh, But what it means for the United States is actually kind of interesting, because when the global economy looks like it's headed for rough waters, Mm -hmm. when you have trouble in China and Europe isn't growing very much, uh, typically what investors do is what is called a flight to safety. Mm -hmm. And that flight typically goes into the safest instrument they can find that won't lose money, and that is U.S. Treasury bonds. Mm -hmm. So what we saw today in conjunction with the stock market Is U.S. Treasury bonds traded at 2%, the 10 year Treasury bond traded at 2%, which means you can, uh, as the government, borrow money from somebody for 10 years at 2% interest rates. Mm, That's a good deal. Yeah, it's a great deal. In in real terms, you're essentially borrowing that money for free. Right. And uh, so this would be a perfect time to spend a couple hundred billion dollars and improve. The things that are crumbling in our society, uh, for example, bridges and the uh, broadband system mm-hmm. and the electrical grid and water systems, all of these infrastructure projects that we know are needed down the road, mm-hmm. this is a perfect time to borrow money to actually fix them. Uh, I, I suspect we won't do that. I was going to it sounds
1: like you got a big a but coming uh, after <laughs> that. So we're not going to do that? after We're not
0: all? going to do that, even though it is the most cost-effective in the world to do that right now Uh, because obviously we have a republican congress that is uh, consumed Mm -hmm. with concern about deficits and things like that and they're not going to want that uh, socialist in the white house to spend a bunch of federal money uh, because then we'd have to borrow money and blah 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 so uh,
1: because it's all about presidential politics at this point, anyway, that and they the don't want to do anything that's that's going to be smart. Uh, In between, fact, we might yeah.
0: shut down the government at the end of next month because there'll be a dispute over the proper level of spending, uh, and there's a deadline for the next fiscal year, which is September 30th. We so are so brilliant. we're going to do exactly the opposite of what we should be doing right now.
1: Now is the time to spend because money is cheap but we're not going to do it. When it comes back, i uh, got just a minute here, uh, David. Uh, wh- so when it comes to the stock market, uh, yeah. w- what should what should people do? Should they be right. investing in treasury bonds or just sit sit tight and wait for this uh, t- to pass yeah, the way I mean, they, uh, they always the, seem to? The
0: common answer is to sit tight. You, you, it's impossible to sort of time the market uh, to, to try to buy low and sell high. If you're in stocks right now, Don't make a sudden move to rush out of them because it's just too painful to see your portfolio. In fact, don't look at your portfolio every day (laughs) or every five minutes uh, in times like this. And just ride the wave and and know that if you've been in stocks for five years or more, you're probably doing pretty well on that investment. And uh, just keep it going.
1: Okay. And if, uh, if we do that and we hang on to our investments and if things go even worse... Uh, you yeah, should contact David Dayan. <laughs> he he's over at Salon.com. <laughs> uh, also, you have an, a quick, very quickly an article coming out tomorrow. Is that over at Salon or one That'll of? That'll be
0: at Salon, and it's about these issues. Okay,
1: very good. We'll look forward to that. Uh, thank you for putting us all at ease, David Dayan. Uh, always great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, we'll call you uh, tomorrow when the apocalypse hits in full.
0: <laughs> very good. Stock right. up on food.
1: Yeah. Thank you, brother. All right. Bye. Food, uh, survival seeds. We got to call uh, Glenn Beck and see if he can uh, save us here. Desi Doyen. Desi Doyen's with us, by the way. Hey, Desi. Hey, hey. Our producer. Um, yeah, we need to call. So make a list. Uh, we need to buy gold. We need to get survival seeds. We need guns and ammo. We need to basically, like I said, call Glenn Beck.
2: Well, he's cornered the market on that stuff. That's yeah, he for has. sure.
1: Yeah. We need some of that. We need some of that advertising money. We're, telling, we're here telling people don't panic. We're doing this all wrong, Des. We need to be telling people to panic. That's how you make money in radio. Don't tell them the truth. Uh, by the way, speaking of telling the truth here, before we get to a break and, and we'll get to uh, Ernie Canning and, and the truth about what's going on down in Texas, uh, Donald Trump, of course, had his uh, he had a huge pep rally. Um, what Was it Friday? I think it was down in Alabama. Down in Alabama, yes. and he uh huge rally. They moved the event at the last second because they were getting so many people who were going to be uh, coming. It was supposed to be at the Mobile Civic Center. It was moved at the last minute to Lad Peebles Stadium down oh, there. Oh yes, the Lad to, Peebles. Everybody oh, you know the Lad place. Peebles. <laughs> home to the University of South Alabama Jaguars, because interest soared. Trump's campaign had claimed that there had been more than 35,000 people who had applied for tickets to the event. And at one point, they even said 42,000 people that they expected. So they moved it to this stadium. That was uh, it's a forty thousand seat stadium, uh, and and it, it got a decent crowd, uh, but not the thirty five or forty two thousand they expected. They got about twenty thousand. That was pretty good, but it, it was less than uh, less than half full down there. But it was a um, a good a good audience nonetheless. And uh, it, it Trump said. Quote, we are running on fumes. There's nothing here. We're not going to have a country left. We need to have our borders. We need to make uh, great deals. You know, the usual thing that he said in this pep rally. And he's got these people so conned, of course, that there but there was one point here that I wanted to point out before we get to the break. Since we're out here in California, this came up about California. Um So this is the report from uh, from the Washington uh, Washington Post, Robert Costa and Dave Weigel, both good reporters. They quoted a woman who was there. They write uh, Friday night resembled something between a Leonard Skinner concert and the Daytona 500. Uh, People came to see a celebrity Trump, but also to hear his fiery call. To revolutionize the nation's politics, many attendees said they had never attended a presidential campaign event. Well, that's good. He's bringing uh, new people into the
2: generating uh, interest. That's that's a positive.
1: Generating interest, We're bringing people into uh, the into politics. So filling their uh, filling them with interest in the way our country works. That's good. Cheryl Burns, sixty years old, said she was on a road trip from California when she heard that Trump was going to be in Alabama. So according to The Washington Post, she turned her car around and got in line warning people of what happened to states when liberals took them over. And she, could, she knows this because she's from California. She happened to be in Alabama at the time. But uh, she turned around and she started warning them. Uh, and she said now, and I should preface, we're in California. We've been in, I've been in California for almost 20 years now. Okay, so here's what uh, Burns said, uh, this uh, Trump uh, fan. She said, quote, and this is in the Washington Post. This is where they ran this Quote, there is no more California.
2: Oh, well, that's a surprise. Someone forgot to tell us.
1: It's now international, lawless territory. Everything is up for grabs. I- illegal aliens are murdering people out there. People are being raped. Trump isn't lying about anything. She said the rest of the country just hasn't found out yet.
2: Wow. I wonder what California she lives in. Yeah,
1: that doesn't doesn't really seem like the California we live in, does it?
2: No. As far as last time I checked, we're having uh, we're we're doing pretty well. Yeah, the actually. economy.
1: Yeah, the economy is is actually doing fantastic. This after uh, decades of uh, Republic Well, Schwarzenegger. Remember when he ran the joint and uh, Republicans claiming that uh, California was bankrupt, everything was going a uh, disaster. Well, they got Jerry Brown in there. They got a Republican governor in there. And within no time at all, Jerry Brown's a Democratic. Thank you. Governor. I misspoke a Democratic, governor, Jerry Brown, Democratic governor. And they put a proposition on the ballot uh, to raise this uh, taxes the tiniest bit. And now, what do you know? Boom. Surplus. We're running a surplus where we have uh, too much money. The only problem now, and by the way, and down here, we're in Los Angeles, L- Los Angeles, downtown L.A. is thriving. It's going through a renaissance out here in Hollywood where we are. There is an astounding amount of development going on. Uh, it is not filled, to my knowledge, with uh, illegal immigrants raping and murdering. Well, uh, the
2: local news has failed to report that, and that would be unusual for local news to fail to, to report not, crime.
1: Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if anything, out here in Hollywood, uh, it's the yuppies and the gentrification that's going on that's the problem. The biggest problem, of course, across the state uh, is we ain't got no water. And uh, that's the problem. And it has nothing to do, uh, frankly, with uh, immigrants, documented or otherwise. Uh, I was going to say it has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats, but that's not entirely true either. It does have something to do with the lack of action from both parties, but now mostly Republicans who are holding things up. We're going to be talking later in the week uh, with David Roberts from uh, from Vox.com, formerly of Grist, about uh, Californian Carly Fiorina, who went on the... What do we call this? On the YouTube, she went on the Yahoo's with uh, Katie Couric, and they actually talked. They actually discussed climate change for about four minutes, which is a long time in mainstream corporate media news. Uh, the problem is that everything Carly Fiorina said in that four-minute riff is completely wrong. We'll have uh, David Roberts here later in the week to talk about that. Trump also said something that was completely wrong about the environment. We'll try to get to that a little bit later in the show because I know we got Ernie Canning. Standing by. But uh, I just wanted to report to those people who have may have read it in The Washington Post that there is no more California, that it is now international lawless territory out here, that everything is up for grabs, that illegal aliens are murdering people and that people are being raped and that Trump isn't lying about anything. All of that is completely untrue, despite what you may have read in The Washington Post and what you may hear on Fox News and what it may be that Donald Trump is lying to you about lately. Don't believe it. Instead, listen to the broadcast, because we tell you the truth. And we're going to do that with Ernie Canning in a moment. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your truthful broadcast.
3: Hello, this is Congressman Brad Sherman from America's best-named city, Sherman Oaks. And it's great to be a Brad on the Bradcast.
1: Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar.
3: The eyes of Texas are upon you. all oh, the live long day. The all right, welcome
1: back to Texas your daily broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman from can. bradblog.com. Uh, we have been reporting on this story for a long, for many, many, many years. I hate to say it, at bradblog.com and here on the broadcast. But this uh, story continues because we can talk about The 2016 race, all we want, but if voters aren't allowed to vote in the 2016 race, all of our discussions about the politics and the horse race, frankly, don't matter at all. And so this uh, part of the story... Uh, and very specifically in Texas, when it comes to photo ID voting restrictions. The restrictions that have been placed uh, on voters in certain states, certain states, by the way, with a history of racial discrimination, certain states that are only run by Republicans, that uh, end up disenfranchising Democratic-leaning voters. These photo ID restrictions that are, are very narrow and say that you can only give Uh, one of a very few types of government-issued photo IDs in order to be able to vote or you are disenfranchised. Now, these laws, Republicans have been trying to pass these now for years in, uh, in many states. They're trying to pass them even more so following the 2013 U.S. Supreme Court decision that tossed out a very important element of the Voting Rights Act, and we're going to focus for a moment on um, on where we are in Texas, because a few weeks ago on this program, we reported what appeared at the time to be some very, very good news. And to some extent, I believe it still is. But let me get us up to that. OK, I got to get to this point very quickly. I got to go back to at least 2011. By 2011, Texas was finally, finally able to pass their photo ID restriction law that uh, opponents say and evidence supports would in fact disenfranchise at least 600,000 already registered voters in Texas and untold uh, perhaps millions more above that uh, voters who aren't already registered in the state of Texas. Now, to get to that point, in 2011, the Republicans in the Texas state legislature tried again and again and again to pass this law. It even required at one point a deathly ill Democrat, literally a deathly ill uh, Democrat in the state legislature, legislator to s- s- set up a bed. His hospital bed was brought to the state legislature so he could be there to vote to block this law. And he was successful for a while. But then, ultimately, in 2011, Texas was able to pass the law. Now, at the time, the Voting Rights Act was still in full force, and that meant that any changes to voting laws had to be approved by the federal government before they could be put in place. And time and again, the Department of Justice, uh, a, a full panel of, of judges on the D.C. District Court, rejected Texas's law, finding by Texas's own data their own statistics that they had to give to the uh, to federal government that the law was discriminatory. So the, the, the law was rejected time and time again. And then the Supreme Court in 2013 struck down the requirement uh, for pre-clearance of such laws from the Voting Rights Act, which meant that the Texas uh, that Texas could say, OK, great. That law that was found to be discriminatory time and time again under the Voting Rights Act. Now we can go ahead and uh, implement it. And people can still fight this law, but they can only do it afterwards, after the discrimination has already taken place. And that is sort of where we are. And, in fact, uh, a trial uh, over this law took place late last year, and the judge found in no uncertain terms—this was the U.S. District Court, federal judge in Texas—found in no uncertain terms that the law was, in fact, discriminatory, that it amounted to a poll tax, that it was unconstitutional, and— that it violated the Voting Rights Act. It would have been struck down at that point if that's all there was to the U.S. judicial system, but that's not all there was. It ended up being appealed, and the Appellate Court, the Fifth Circuit Appellate Court, said at the time, well, you know what? The Supreme Court has instructed us that we can't allow uh, laws to change concerning uh, elections right before the elections, Because that would cause confusion and chaos at the polling place. So even if even if this law uh, discriminates and potentially uh, disenfranchises hundreds of thousands of Texas voters, we have to let it go through. And the Supreme Court agreed with that. We have to let it go through for now. We'll revisit it later. Well, it did go through last year. It did disenfranchise voters last year in 2014. And now, a couple of weeks ago, the Fifth Circuit uh, actually was able to look at the merits of the case and they came out with the good news that, in fact, yes, this law is discriminatory. This photo ID restriction will uh, disenfranchise voters in Texas that are, uh, and it will disparately impact uh, more Hispanic and black voters than it will white voters. So to that end... Uh, They agreed with the lower court, but they then sent the uh, case back to the lower court to figure out a few more details, a few more arcane details of how the law will be struck down entirely or changed to make it legal once again. In any event, the ruling by the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, it was uh, written by a a George W. Bush appointee, by the way, uh, was seen as very, very good news for voting rights. However, there are now some concerns about that decision and where it goes from here. And uh, late last week at Bradblog.com, our legal analyst, Ernie uh, Ernest A. Canning is his full name, wrote an article headlined, Fifth Circuit Decision could leave hundreds of thousands without the right to vote in Texas." While its recent decision upheld a lower court finding that the state's photo ID law was discriminatory, more than 600,000 lawfully registered voters could still be disenfranchised in 2016. Joining us to explain why that is and what the concerns are about this otherwise good news decision a few weeks ago is our friend Ernie Canning, legal analyst from Bradblog.com. Hey Ernie, welcome back to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Okay, did I describe the history uh, correctly up until this point before we get into uh, why you have these concerns that uh, you wrote about at Bradblog last week? You did. Okay. With that in mind, uh, I thought this was uh, great news. Fifth Circuit struck down this uh, this law, agreed with the lower court's decision that it was discriminatory, and yet, Ernie Canning, apparently that's not good enough for you, is it? <laughs>
3: Well, it's one thing to say the law was struck down in the sense that they found that it violated the provisions of the Voting Rights Act. It's another to say whether or not the law is still in place. By not lifting the stay they had imposed just before the last election on the on what was supposed to be a permanent injunction, um, they've left uh, uh, Texas Republicans, in fact, uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton, the guy that's now facing an indictment for for alleged securities fraud, to say that this was a victory and that the law remains in effect. Uh, right now, as we're, as we're speaking, uh, if an election was held today in Texas, there would be no one to stop uh, uh, Texas from enforcing a law that has now been found by the Court of Appeal to violate the Voting Rights Act because it disenfranchises 195 percent more Hispanics than uh, ang- their Anglo peers and 305 more percent greater number of uh, African Americans than their than their Anglo peers. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it clearly discriminates against uh, 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 minorities and the poor, and yet they would still enforce it because the injunctions not in force.
1: So, when you say the injunctions not enforced, let me make sure I understand this math correctly. When the lower court said uh, found originally late last year that this was unconstitutional, that it was illegal, it violated the Voting Rights Act, violated the Constitution, that judge immediately uh, uh, put an injunction on that law, said it cannot be enforced. And yet, when the Fifth Circuit Appellate Court uh, came around and uh, citing the Supreme Court saying, hey, you can't change the law, they lifted that injunction. They put a stay on it so that injunction is not in place and the law Can still be used. And that is where we are today. The Fifth Circuit, even though they later on came back and and, and found the lower court was correct, they did not remove the stay on that injunction. So the law is still enacted, still enforceable, even though it's been found to be uh, illegal.
3: Yes, in fact, what seems nonsensical to say a law has been struck down but it's still in force.
1: Yeah,
3: uh, but that's basically where where we stand right now. Now, if the lower court got a hold of this right away, um uh you know, what, they had remanded it for reasons that I think are are invalid, but they they questioned the finding that this was perfectly dis- uh, discriminatory and it allowed the lower court to consider that again. Uh, and to fashion other remedies if they if they, if they they don't renew that finding. But the bottom line is that, um, as Rick Hassan uh, mentioned, that uh, Texas Republicans are probably not wa- going to want to go through the uh, lower court cycle again. Instead, they'll probably go up to the full Fifth Circuit for a rehearing in bank, and if that fails to go up to the Supreme Court, and you can see where just... If, if you keep in mind the injunction uh... was lifted last november and here it is now we're in august and we finally get the fifth circuit decision this is the panel decision mm-hmm. well if they go up again they can drag it on texas has a, a uh... primary coming up on march one of next year presidential primary and uh we may not get a decision out of the uh, of the uh, full circuit court of appeal prior to then and even if we do the matter could be tied up before the supreme court before the trial court ever gets it again so they
1: can so they can run out the clock even though even though the lower court found that it was discriminatory the appeals court agreed that it was discriminatory and uh, and therefore illegal uh, under the voting rights act and yet the law is still in place and can still be used by Texas Republicans to keep voters from being able to vote. And by the way, Ernie, not just uh, the, the presidential primary in March of 2016, uh, there are elections coming up there, uh, state, uh, you know, local uh, primary elections, local elections coming up, as I understand, this fall in uh, I, I think it's October or, or December In various places across the state, that's going to disenfranchise voters in those local elections as well as they run out the clock. And I've even seen it speculated elsewhere that if they take this long enough, and I I think you wrote about this as well, if Texas stalls long enough, they could even keep this law uh, in play, even though it's been found illegal twice all the way through the uh, November general presidential 2016 election. Is that right as well?
3: It depends on how successful they are in running out the clock. One of the big problems that I have with the whole thing dating back, I mean, none of these problems would have occurred if if the the right-wing majority on the Supreme Court had not gutted uh, uh, the the Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act Mm -hmm. uh, back in in 2013. Um, But when they did that, uh, the, in that case, the majority claim that the, uh, and this was their exact words, that their decision in no way affects the permanent nationwide ban on racial discrimination in voting found in Section 2. Right. Well, in truth, per last year's decision, racial discrimination in voting will be allowed in those cases where a court order upholding that ban is issued too close to an election. Right. So, so it's perfectly. you know, it's one thing to say that it's illegal to discriminate in voting, and another thing to say that we're going to actually protect voters against discrimination.
1: (laughs) And and that's because they had in these various sections of the Voting Rights Act, uh, one section required that states like Texas. With a long history of racial disenfranchisement, racial dis- discrimination at the polls, that those jurisdictions had to get approval first before they changed their laws. Because, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, we have, did an anniversary show on the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, which was just about two weeks ago. That uh, those jurisdictions, what made the Voting Rights Act so revolutionary was that it required them to uh, get approval for these changes before. They could disenfranchise voters because folks, particularly in the South during the Jim Crow era, they just kept changing the laws all the time because they know how long it takes to get through the courts and everything else. And so the Supreme Court struck down that preclearance decision and said, well, we don't need it because it is illegal in all 50 states to racially discriminate. That is true. But... You can't do it. Uh, It's not preclearance. You have to wait until after the discrimination has been uh, has been heard. And that's what we're seeing in Texas, where it's, you know, coming way too late and it may come way too late again for 2016 because of this silly rule that the Supreme Court has come up with, you know, which is that no matter how discriminatory a law is, it can't be changed right before the election because, oh, it would cause chaos and confusion.
3: Well, and the interesting thing in this particular case, Brad, was that uh, as you mentioned in 2012, a three-judge district court panel in uh, in in the District of Columbia, yeah, uh, uh, unanimously ruled exactly what was ultimately found once this law went into place, and that is they they unanimously found exactly what what the Fifth Circuit is now finding that that this law. It has yeah. a, a discriminatory impact, uh, it desperately impacts uh, minorities and the poor. And they, they, they basically, you've now had this identical finding three mm-hmm. successive times in court dating back to 2012, and here we are in 2015, and we're having to worry about whether that, that discrimination is going to occur again in 2016
1: yeah it's it's like it's year after year after year, finding after finding all finds the same thing. and yet the law is still in place. I mean, it really does kind of make a joke. It makes it I mean, it's it's quite laughable. And I know you're a, a fan of the legal system as an attorney for decades, uh, and I'm a fan of the of the legal system as well. But when you look at it in these terms, I mean, it really, Kind of makes a joke out of the court system and the way and and, and the, the the lengths that we have to go through to challenge a law that really every serious person already realizes is both discriminatory and illegal.
3: I- well, I'm a fan of the legal system. I am not a fan of judges um, you know, accepting things that just aren't factually established and or um rewriting the law uh, taking it on themselves, yeah. which is what I believe. Uh, you know, these are supposed to be, uh, the conservatives claim they're against judicial activism, and you look at the decisions coming down in these cases, and they're essentially rewriting the law. Here, we've had Congress pass uh, the Voting Rights Act, they've done their own findings, and uh, the courts are saying, oh no, uh, you got it wrong. And, uh, yeah. uh, and that's what's happening here, and all of this mess is because, uh, of activists. Uh, basically uh, right-wing mm-hmm. uh, judges, or or what uh, I forget which law professor it was, called them radicals and robes, who have decided uh, 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 to go off uh, on these things. In this particular case, as you know, one of my principal problems is that they, uh, I believe they entirely uh, uh, missed a, a critical uh, uh, factual point when they claimed uh, that the judge had erred uh, in uh, they've made an erroneous assumption that no one contested they exactly they said no one questions the legitimacy of these concerns meaning uh... 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 the sanctity of voting and avoiding voter fraud and promoting public confidence in in the voting process uh... were the reason why the why the uh... texas legislature passed this law and in fact that just flat out wrong the plaintiffs all the way through this case uh, we're arguing that this this whole law was because of demographic changes that would eventually render the Republican Party the minority party in Texas, and this law was drafted specifically in order to uh, uh, prevent uh, African Americans and Hispanics from voting and poor people from voting because they don't want to see in Texas what. Bernie Sanders is currently advocating a political revolution.
1: Well, they uh, obviously they don't. Their demographics are changing in Texas. They know it. They know that the Republican Party knows even in Texas they are in trouble. It was very clear that you know the reason they did this is to disenfranchise certain voters. It has nothing to do with voter fraud because they couldn't even present. I think they were able to find two cases uh, over the past decade in the entire state of Texas in which a law such as this might, might, Have deterred uh, an illegal vote have been cast. That's two votes out of millions, tens of millions of votes being cast. The problem is, uh, as the Fifth Circuit said, uh, you know, to prove that it was purposely done. That's another issue. You got to come up with emails. You got to come up with comments. You got to come up with evidence to prove that it was purposely done. We know it discriminates, but was it purposeful discrimination? And that's what the lower court uh, is going to uh, revisit now that the case has been remanded down there for the moment. Ernie, I've got just a uh, a minute or two left here, but out in North Carolina, uh, they have, believe it or not, an even worse. And more discriminatory law. It's not just photo ID restrictions in North Carolina. Uh, they've also uh, shortened early voting. They have uh, uh, taken away same day uh, registration and voting, the uh, pre-registration of 16 and 17 year olds. It is the mother of all voter suppression laws that Republicans passed in North Carolina. And again, they did it. Just immediately after the Supreme Court removed the uh, gutted the Voting Rights Act and said, hey, we don't have a problem with uh, discriminatory voting laws anymore. So um, one element of the North Carolina case, which uh, was recently tried earlier this summer, one element was the photo ID restriction and plaintiffs agreed for the moment to set that photo ID restriction aside to not hear the facts on it. Uh, while they examined a change that North Carolina Republicans made. And basically, the change uh, to the photo ID restriction would allow voters without a photo ID to sign a, quote, reasonable impediment declaration. They'd have to provide their date of birth, the last four digits of the Social Security number, or present a voter registration card, And voters who uh, signed that declaration would then be allowed to vote by a provisional ballot. Now, the plaintiffs in that case in North Carolina, uh, a lot of people challenging that, the federal government challenging it, as well as the uh, North Carolina Republicans, are looking to see if they can work out a deal, if that will be enough to assuage the concerns uh, so that we can move forward. Uh, Do you see that as a possibility, that that will then allow voters to vote. After all, in North Carolina, and could that also be a solution to the Texas case to make this all go away, so we can get on with the act of, you know, voting, a democracy, and governing in this country?
3: I think that creating a two-tiered system in which certain voters are permitted to vote, and you know their votes are going to be counted, and uh, provisional ballots that. All too often are not counted is a prescription for disaster. Um, the plaintiffs I know in the in the um, North Carolina case yeah. have suggested that they will a proposed consent degree, but i don't I suspect that the plaintiffs have not agreed to and will not agree to uh, uh, the, this whole provisional ballot thing. I think the suggestion of, of coming up with alternative means of identification is a good one. In fact, uh, Rick Hassan uh, suggested that, and to a degree, the Fifth Circuit did too, if they find this is not a deliberate uh, um, uh, violation. And according to the Fifth Circuit, if it is a, d- a deliberate violation, on the contrary, you'd have to, Im- which is what they're alleging, by the way, in North Carolina as well, that if the judge again finds there's a deliberate violation, the remedy would be a total injunction. In fact, uh, you could end up with uh, Section 3 remedy that basically puts Texas uh, back online line for uh, preclearance
1: in the future. That requires it to get preclearance for all right. election-related laws in the future, and I think that's what... Uh, I think that's the, the the big prize here as far as uh, uh, voting rights uh, uh, folks are concerned, uh, as well as the vote suppressors in Texas who do not want to be required to pre-clear their laws again. Uh, boy, uh, a lot more to figure out. And frankly, it's not nearly uh, discussed and examined enough. Uh, at least not as much as, you know, what Donald Trump said today, uh, you know, or or Hillary's email. You know, this is stuff that actually matters. This is what will determine who will be the next president of the United States. But not just that, uh, you know, governors, uh, senators, uh, congressmen, local officials. It all comes down to being able to cast a legal vote. And that's where Republicans have decided to draw the line instead of, you know, offering policies that might be popular. So we will continue to cover this uh, in the meantime. Ernie Canning, uh, thank you for everything. Uh, Please check out his article at bradblog.com. Fifth Circuit decision could leave hundreds of thousands without right to vote in Texas. The fight is not over, not by a long shot, Ernie Ernie, uh, Ernest A. Canning, Bradblog.com's legal analyst Ernie, thank you as ever for for all and for joining us today. You bet. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Speaking of Texas and messing with Texas, you know, we, we talked recently about how now at this point, Texas is the only state in the union with more than 20 percent of its uh, of its citizenry uninsured by uh, health insurance that lacking health insurance. It used to be there was a I don't know, about a dozen states or so where 20 percent of the people who live there had no health insurance, Uh, now only Texas. Congratulations, Texas. You suck in that regard as well. <laughs> Don't make that face, Desi Doyle. Well,
2: you know, it's 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 so ridiculous. Yeah. It's so ridiculous that the federal government is handing money to Texas to insure uninsured people, to take the burden off of the state and the state's taxpayers to support folks who need medical care. And
1: they're not taking that this money. It's public health. And they're not taking that money. This, she's talking about uh, Obamacare and the uh, expansion Medicaid, of Medicaid expansion. That yes. Texas is not taking the money. Free money—they're not taking it. If you live in Texas, if you don't have insurance, if you can't afford even to get insurance via o- o- Obamacare and the premiums that you'd, you'd uh, the the that premium you'd get,
2: support that you support would get, that help you get
1: off of the uh, Obamacare exchanges, yeah, then you'd rely on Medicaid. But if you're in Texas, you can't get it.
2: You're out of luck. You're out of luck. And, and it, it just perpetuates, you know, bad health care, bad public health care. You know, when you have communicable d- diseases, if you had, say, oh, I don't know, a flu epidemic, then you'd have people who would not be able to get medical care who would then be passing it on to other people. And then you have a problem. And, and you could have prevented that with, you know, prevention with health care. But they don't let that, they don't let well, that Well, and that's
1: uh, the reason I bring this up, is because uh, a new study just out uh, late last week, Texans without health insurance are twice as likely to skip seeking primary and mental health care because of cost. That's one of the findings of a new survey uh, from Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy. By the way, I think that's James A. Baker is it who is. that's named after. Yeah, uh, Rice University's uh, Baker Institute and the Episcopal Health Foundation. The report found that in the past uh, year, 32% of uninsured adult Texans say they skipped primary care due to costs, compared with just 16% of adults who have health insurance. When it comes to mental health or counseling, 12% of uninsured Texans said they had delayed care compared with 6% of adults with insurance. And this is one of those things. Remember in the the fight over Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, nobody in this uh, country goes without health care. Any everybody has health care. You just all you have to do is go to the emergency room to get your health care if you yeah. don't have health insurance. But the problem is people don't go to the emergency room for their primary care. If they're just a little bit sick, they tend to go to the emergency room when they're falling down, when they are collapsing. For uh, one reason or another, Um, and that is still the case in Texas. They're not going to seek primary care at an alarming rate uh, if they don't have uh, health insurance. So lack of access to affordable primary and mental health care services are well documented as a problem for all Texans, especially The uninsured, said Elena Marks, president and CEO of the Episcopal Health Foundation and a non-resident health policy fellow at the Baker Institute. She says in the case of primary care, the uninsured may be waiting to seek care when they're sicker and they need more intensive and expensive care. That's concerning because basic health care services are usually less expensive and can help prevent more serious health problems. untreated uh, mental health, uh, mental illness, she says, is also associated with a number of adverse outcomes, including physical illness. So uh, way to go, Texas. You're still screwing up down there.
2: It's a shame. It's uh, to me that that's just that's so, so distressing, especially the mental health aspect. You know, when you have uh, in many of these mass shootings that we see around the country, mental health has become a, a, a component of that. Uh, in some of these cases, these are people, shooters who have mental disabilities, mental in, impacts that they're not had, being dealt with. And when you have Texas being an open carry state. And what, mental health problems. What could
1: possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a wonderful could, combination. And with Texas being a state where they don't want you to vote uh, right. if you're in support of Obamacare, if you are like uh, one of the Democrats down there who w- want to uh, see the Medicaid expansion. They get to uh, come in and go. Us, uh, they do. OK, okay uh, before we go here, uh, do I have time for that? I got a few minutes. The. um uh, on our previous show, we read I, I gave you some information from this new report out of Public Health England, uh, an independent report from this government body in England, finding that contrary to so much of the nonsense you have heard in the media, certainly here in the uh, in the U.S. media concerning electronic cigarettes, uh, they are actually Good for you if you're a smoker and if you are uh, if you have been smoking, you should switch to e-cigs. They are at least 95% safer than uh, tobacco cigarettes, as I've been letting you know, because I actually go out and read these reports. Well, here's a big report saying uh, not only are they safer, that public uh, officials, public elected officials, health officials should be encouraging people to move to e-cigs. If they are smokers and that they are very effective in quitting smoking. And, you know, this is not a health show. We don't go into, you know, a health and lifestyle issues. But we are talking about half a million Americans alone who die each year from cigarette smoking. Uh, So uh, I covered that in a bit of a rant. I'm one of those Americans, by the way, who smoked for years and has switched to e-cigs. And I was able to quit, quit smoking like that overnight. Uh, with e cigs, I couldn't do it originally with the crappy, uh, the type you buy at the 7 Eleven, the uh, cigalikes as they call them that look like cigarettes. But I, I learned about vaping, I went to a vape shop, found out how it's supposed to uh, work out, and how you can choose your own juice, you could choose your own nicotine, and so forth. Um, and never looked back. And I, I see no reason why I would want to go back to smoking anyway. I wrote about this, uh, when, uh, of course, over at Brad Blog, I've been writing about it for years, but uh, On last week's, uh, I guess, uh, Friday's show, when I posted the program with including my rant, uh, the headline I used was E-cigs are good for you, the GOP is not. And that's because we covered a lot of uh, Republican stuff where they were lying and so forth. Uh, But the cigarettes, uh, e-cigs are good for you. This got a lot of uh, interesting responses, I'll just say that, over at Daily Coast. Or people were furious that my headline was not accurate. They're not good for you. They are 95% less less harmful, but they are not good for you. Well, if you're a smoker, they're definitely good for you. And I would argue even if you're a non-smoker, if you're a non-smoker and you're concerned about uh, smoke, secondhand smoke, then you, you too, should want people to switch to e-cigs because then you don't have the secondhand smoke either. Uh, As a matter of fact, there is nothing found so far that is harmful from uh, secondhand vapor, as they say, because all it's got is, uh, you know, basically uh, nicotine and and none of the poisonous chemicals that are uh, in uh, combustible cigarettes. I bring this up to point you first to Daily Coast, where I posted that item, and there was a very lively and interesting discussion, and then also... Uh, over on Facebook, where we posted the show. And uh, our friend Carl Howard, who who says he listens to every show, and he's, uh, I, I think, a fan of the show, he said, yes, yes, I have just finished your 56-hour vaping rant, he said to me in comments. I think Means, he exaggerates ever single Well, so it might not have, yeah. Means zero to me. I neither smoke nor vape, but I'll never get those 56 hours back now. Well, that was kind of harsh, Carl. Uh, and I, I noted that, boy, he never complains when I spend the same amount of time talking about other ways to save far fewer lives, like uh, when we cover the death penalty or cops killing people. I said, compassion, my friend. And a frowny emoticon. He said, ah, eh, lives. Fair. <laughs> uh, someone else jumped in and uh, said uh, to Carl, thanks, Carl. And I said, uh, this is John Dowd. I said, what, a two, John? Uh, And I was feeling just terrible about it. And then uh, John said, well, he is happy for those who have uh, fallen, uh, you know, for nicotine addiction and that they have a way now to quit uh, vaping. You can read that conversation at Brad uh, blog as well. The reason I then bring all of this up is because at the same time that was coming in and they were complaining that I was covering e-cigs. I heard from uh, one of our affiliates, well, somebody who's at one of our affiliates and uh, she didn't uh, I didn't hear back from her in time for the show to, to find out if she gives me permission to mention who it was. So I'll just say it's someone from one of our affiliates who writes, Hi, Brad. I just wanted to thank you for your e-cig rant. She writes, I'm totally convinced that they have saved my life and my husband's. I am so sick and tired of people who have no idea what it is to be addicted to nicotine, the years of trying to quit, going back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She went on to say, Bob Alexander got me started vaping years ago, and I've never looked back. I can climb hills and stairs without getting winded, and I don't smell like a used ashtray. Yep, I know the feeling. She goes on to say, anyway, you touched a very personal place, and I wanted to. Thank you. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of different feelings about it. But you know what? The ones who are uh, saving their lives, uh, those are the ones I suspect I listen to the most. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. And one last note here. Bob Alexander, she mentioned um, Bob writes and uh, produces uh, for, for fans of uh, the Mike Malloy show. Another fantastic progressive program out there that uh, I guest hosted for, what, about five years and. Um, Bob uh, Alexander writes and produces uh, this segment uh, called Mike Malloy Radio Gumshoe. And it's hysterical and it's wonderful. Uh, Mike, as it turns out, Bob Alexander was also the one who told me about vaping and about e-cigs. I had no idea that he's going out there and evangelizing to everyone (laughs) about uh, vaping. And
2: helping a lot of smokers. Saving a
1: lot of lives. A lot of lives. So thanks, Bob Alexander, for mentioning it to that uh, person at that affiliate. Thanks for mentioning it to me because I've passed it on to Lord knows how many thousands. Bob Alexander, you are a mensch and you're saving a lot of lives. So thanks for all that you do. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer today, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn. Also, my thanks to David Dayan of Salon.com for joining us last second to uh, tell us don't panic in the stock market. And uh, to our old friend, legal analyst Ernie A. Kenning from Bradblog.com. We will be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, my thanks to you, the listener, for joining us. You can find me uh, on the Twitters and the Bradblog. No, wait, on the Twitters and the Facebook at, there we go, The Brad Blog, and you too can drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.